Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 111, BGA's 2017 Predictions. We'd like to thank Board Games for saving us from 2016. Listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Hey everyone, welcome back. 2017 is here, and Anthony and I are here to join you with all of the great upcoming games, what's been hitting our table, and what we're looking forward to in the new year. So, Anthony, what's going on with you these days? Oh, not too much. Uh, Just happy it's a new year. I think we're all so happy. So happy. (laughs) So very happy. (laughs) People walk around and and they look at board gamers, especially Euro gamers, with their head down and in their heavy rule book or looking at the board. Oh man, that's that's so sad. They must be so incredibly bored. And we're like, no man, we're just surviving. This is a great thing. <laughs> we don't want to look up. 2016 was pretty rough. And you know, having your face in a you know a heavy crunchy euro is always a good thing to be doing. Yes, escapement, getting away. <laughs> <laughs> Where things uh, make sense and they have rules and things have outcomes that make sense. Oh yes, the sense part. Loving yes. that. Man, yeah, no, it's a good, it's off to a good start this year. Doing, just chugging along with the the usual BGA stuff. If you guys are out there and you've listened to, um, you know, the solo podcast, Jason and I publish every week. So that's going strong. Um, we have our end of year episode, but we also have a top 100 commentary episode. We didn't do the top 100. We just stole one from Board Game Geek and we talked about it for two episodes. So there you go. check that out if you haven't yet. That's from the One Player Guild. And then we have the guy who built that list came on the podcast to talk about it. So that was pretty fun. Still sending out the newsletter every week. So if you're not on that newsletter list, make sure you get on it because we give out 10 bucks at the end of every month to someone on the list at random. Plus, I link up to all the recent episodes and reviews and any news that's coming up on a weekly basis. So lots of good stuff there, you know, and then there'll be new reviews on the website periodically when I when I get around to writing them because <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> or when they uh, ask. I do, <laughs> exactly. When they ask. I do have a nice pile of stuff here I have to review, so uh, there'll be some reviews up there soon. But yeah, uh, you know we're all over the place, and we, you know I appreciate everybody out there stopping by, listening, reading, not watching, but I'm working on it. Uh, <laughs> lots of new content for you in 2017. Sure. So as we always talk about this, there's always new content out there, and there's a lot of great places to find all this great content. So if you want to know about our question of the day. And what board gamers are talking about, check out our Facebook page. We also have our YouTube channel. So you may be listening to this podcast right now through YouTube. But, you know, maybe you're in a situation where YouTube is up at your computer, maybe at work or at home. You can find all the Board Gamers Anonymous episodes there. And as Anthony said, some actual video content and reviews. We also have our Board Gamers Anonymous Guild on Board Game Geek. So if you want to start a conversation there and talk to other listeners in the Board Gamers Anonymous universe, you can definitely head over there. And what always benefits the whole board gaming community 
is if we can get our voices out there to more board gamers or even to more non-board gamers and kind of bring them into the hobby. So please go on to iTunes and Stitcher. Any new reviews for our podcast will actually raise our ratings in iTunes. And, you know, hopefully someone else will stumble upon it and get to know about all the great board games and eventually get to the table. just takes a few seconds to give us five stars and throw up a review up there, but it means a great deal to us. So iTunes and Stitcher are great places for that. We also have our Patreon account. If you'd like to help us produce more content, that's the best way to go. A dollar a month really does a great deal for us. We also have our Amazon affiliate account. So if you go to BoardGamersAnonymous.com, you'll see some links in the most recent show notes and reviews so that when you're going already to purchase something through Amazon, you click on our link. It takes you directly to Amazon. You don't pay a penny more, but we get a little kickback from Amazon that helps us keep the lights on. So that's very, very important for us. And it's always important to hear from you. So as, as we were saying earlier... We like to do reviews and especially written reviews online for you, but we're not always sure exactly what you're looking for. So if you go to Board Gamers Anonymous, you can find a way to reach out to us directly or through a number of our different social media contacts, including Twitter. Right, Anthony? Definitely. Do those things. <laughs> Trust us. We've purchased many, many board games that uh, we're very sad that we did purchase, and we missed out on a lot of board games that uh, we wish we did purchase. So um, us going out there and uh, being the crash test dummies of board gaming for you um, is our pleasure. So please pick a target and we will be happily run our face head forth into a nice, heavy, crunchy game and let you know how it uh, all plays out. Yeah, because the last thing you want to do is sit down for four hours and find out the game is no good. Yes. We do that all the time. (laughs) We do. We suffer for you. Isn't that a great thing? (laughs) And now... Our acquisition disorders. Acquisition disorders? That's crazy. All he needs the base game. Nothing else but the base game. The base game and the expansion. See? Nothing else. Just the base game and the expansion and the promos. The base game, the expansion, and the promos, and of course, the upgraded components. Why wouldn't you have the upgraded components? Okay, so, so now we're talking about our acquisition disorders. Just components. some of the most yeah, recent right. games that we've seen on the horizon that we really want to let you know about so that you keep it on your radar. So if it pops up on Kickstarter or it goes up for sale, you should absolutely take a look at these games. So, Anthony, why don't you start us off with your first acquisition disorder? Okay, so this is a game that uh, I was actually excited about a while ago, and apparently things have changed. It's the new game from Emerson Matsuchi, and we might have even talked about this a few months ago. Uh, It was originally called Caravan, and it was going to come in one of two variants. One was trading in the Mediterranean, and one was in space. So, as you may have heard recently, uh, Asmodee bought F2Z, which means they bought Asmodee, or... Asmodee bought F2Z, which means they bought Z-Man and all the stuff that was in the works. But apparently they didn't buy everything. So there's a new publisher, Plan B Games, and they are going to be releasing Century Spice Road. This is Emerson Matsuchi's game. And it's using that system. It's been refined, I guess. And now they're releasing it as a series of games called Century. The first one is Spice Road. It is about people playing caravan leaders who travel the Silk Road to deliver spices, blah, blah, blah. You know the theme. It's in a lot of games. But the whole idea of it is you'll be able to perform one of several actions each turn, building trade routes, uh, making trades, harvesting spices, meeting demands, try, basically trying to fulfill these victory point cards that you have, and then getting those cards back. So the game will last until someone gets five victory point cards. It looks very pretty. It has a very streamlined look and feel to it. From what I read of it before, 
in its original incarnation, it looked like a very interesting game and that I was excited to play. And the new version hasn't really changed that so much, although I would have liked to see the space theme. The idea of comparing the two different kinds, the themes with the same style mechanics was pretty cool. But short of that, I'm glad we still get to play this game and it didn't get relegated to development hell somewhere because of a merger. This is supposed to come out this year. It looks like to, to be an interesting light to midweight Euro-ish game. And I'm interested to see what they do with the lineup. You know, I think they've announced three games thus far. We've got Spice Road, A New World, and Eastern Wonders. So these things are just supposed to, you know, look at different centuries and probably using the same um, mechanics to do so. So very interesting. It'll be unique and something different. And from a new, not-so-new publisher, because it sounds like a lot of the stuff Asmodee did not pick up from Z-Man and, and crew is going to end up here. But but yeah, excited for this one. Yeah, I got a chance to play this in its prototype version, and it was actually a lot of fun. I usually try to kind of avoid those early prototypes because you never know what they're going to look like. But it's actually a quick playing kind of Euro game, and it was a, it was a lot of fun. So I'm glad that we're not going to lose all of these games to obscurity because that seems to be what's happening more and more these days where the companies are not producing as much as they used to, and we're missing out on a lot of these great ideas. So um, I'm really looking forward to that. Well, one of the games on my acquisition disorder, I know it's on Anthony's, is First Martians Adventures on the Red Planet. Now, if you played Robinson Crusoe Adventures on the Cursed Island, and I'm sure you did because it was an outstanding game, uh, where you're playing a co-op trying to survive on an island. Well, pretty much what we're looking at here is a re-implementation of that game but on Mars. So now what you're dealing with is a Martian environment, and there are several challenges that go throughout the game that you have to deal with. So what was interesting about the Robinson Crusoe one was the fact that not only was it a challenging co-op, but there was a way in which you had to make choices as far as did you want to risk completing a challenge or did you want to take the safe route, but you were expending additional resources? And that makes a lot of sense because just like anything in life, there's an easy way and a hard way. And if you do it the hard way, maybe you get lucky. Now, there isn't a lot of detailed information about this game out. It was supposed to come out this year. Actually, I should say 2016. But it's supposed to come out in spring for 2017. And what we're looking at here is... Um, a way in which you can play the game, just not just separate versions of the game or separate sessions of the game, but you can actually play it in a custom campaign mode where each game builds on the success of the last game. Or you can even play it as an open world kind of map where you're kind of exploring and you are taking resources in order to build structures and technologies to help you survive. Now, the, the pictures that are on Board Game Geek are pretty interesting. You're looking at what seems to be kind of a modified spreadsheet with these little different areas in which you are placing and removing cubes in order to get, let's say, for example, lab research or exploring different areas or to upgrade living facilities or for healing. So ways in which you're dealing with that type of Martian environment. Now, this was the game, I think, for myself and Anthony that we were really looking forward to uh, hitting in 2016 because we're big kind of space martian fans ourselves i can't wait to see this game actually in print uh hopefully it'll come out in the spring hopefully we won't have to wait until gen con 
And this is definitely something I'm going to be picking up in the future. Me too. <laughs> yeah, I'm super excited for this one. And I think it's the amount of content that's in this box is ridiculous. Two full campaigns, six additional scenarios, the app that gives you all the extra stuff, yes. the sandbox mode, uh, so much here. And it seems like it might even be different enough that you can justify owning this and Robinson Crusoe. I hope so, because I will own both of these <laughs> at some point. <laughs> yeah, I thought about picking up Robinson Crusoe for a long time, and this was the game that was really keeping me away from that, just because I was hoping or was worried that they were going to um, be too similar. But if they are different enough, I actually will pick up both. But having the app companion with this in order to save your former gameplay so you can kind of reset the board up is is uh, brilliant, actually. Yeah, that's the kind of unique use of apps that I want to see. Like, that that's the cool stuff that you can do with technology that doesn't replace the board game in any way. You don't have to use the app to play this game. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially with these kind of campaign-type games. I know that I've been shying away from them because I just don't have time to sit down for, you know, six, seven hours for campaign mode or have to box the game up and have to remember and have to put everything back out and have to get the same people together to kind of play it out. But to have the app to kind of reorganize that would be great. All right, Anthony, what about your second one? Cool. So the second game on my list is one that I actually have – had a chance to play at least once at this point it's called hanamikoji this is a two-player card game just released i think in the u.s quick simple fun games Uh, and it is japanese uh designer is koda nakayama and i think it was originally released maybe three or four years ago but it's just now hitting the west it's a very very quick very simple card game but the decisions you end up having to make are very interesting and you'd have to think a lot about what each thing you do might entail basically what you have is several different tarot-sized geisha cards at the middle of the table. Each of them has a different value assigned to it. And then you will be playing different cards to try to get the favor of those different uh, geishas in the middle of the table. The trick is, is you have four different action tiles, and each of them is not ideal. One of them has you hide a card uh, that you can then see later. Uh, use at the end of the round. Another one has you get rid of two cards completely. Uh, one of them is give split four cards into two groups and your opponent gets to pick which group they want first. And the other one is put three cards out and your opponent gets to pick one card. So you never really get to choose which cards you want to play. So you can have a hand and be like, these are great, but it doesn't matter because you know you're going to give away several of those cards or get rid of them completely. Very, very unique, very fun. Only got to play it the one time though. So don't feel even remotely close to understanding how it runs or what's involved in kind of a good strategy here. It's very quick, too. It was like five, ten minutes to get through this. So definitely one I'm looking forward to giving another go because it was that kind of quick, easy, accessible game that also is very, very deep because there's each decision you make has so many different permutations. So definitely going to check this one out again. Yeah, that looks like fun. I haven't gotten a chance to get that to the table yet because it looks great. Yeah, it's beautiful, too. The artwork is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's one of those games where you open up like, oh, Chris would like this. It's very pretty. Yeah. <laughs> Send me these games. They're pretty. Send me the pretty ones. Yeah, especially when it was funny, just on a, on a kind of a side note, talking about pretty games. I was at a Panera with some friends, and we were playing, uh, I guess it would be kind of a cross between Tuscany and Viticulture. We had some of the elements from Tuscany. with We kind of mixed our uh, chocolate and peanut butter together. So we're right in the middle of Panera, which is this kind of like, 
I wouldn't say it's a fast food kind of sandwich kind of bagel place, but we had viticulture laid out, all the components out there. It's it's beautiful looking. It's a gorgeous board, gorgeous components. And a mother walks by with some children, and of course the children come over and they're like, oh, wow, what this is amazing. What does this look like? And they run back over to their mother. The mother kind of peeks over and goes, oh, they're playing Italian Monopoly, kids. And I'm like, oh. All right. <laughs> and I'm like, <clears throat> okay, I, I, I get that. It, it does, you know, you're, it's a vineyard. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. So, uh, yeah. Um, don't downplay the, the, the power of an attractive board game to bring other players to the table and to use their, their frame of context to mistake in the game. But nonetheless, it gives us an opportunity to educate the public. So it, it's a good thing. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard worse, so we'll, we'll, we'll take it. Um, one of the games that's on my acquisition disorder, talking about gorgeous games, is The World of Smog, Rise of Moloch. Now, we talked about The World of Smog uh, originally at our Queen's service, and that game was a very much puzzle type of game, steampunk version, where you're moving these gears to move your characters around in order to picking up certain components. And once they pick up all their components, they get to get back to their base. But the other the other players in the game are also kind of jockeying for position, moving those gears around to get those components to try to stop you. So it's a it was a very puzzle type of game in this very beautiful and unique universe that had magic, but it also had steampunk. And the box itself is just gorgeous. Well, now with this kind of and I won't say it's it's not an expansion. It's actually I guess would you say a spiritual successor if we're still using those terms. This game is actually more along the lines of like a, a dungeon crawl. Um, we're looking at a campaign game here. It's basically a two to five player adventure board game where one player kind of plays the overlord and the other players are trying to stop that overlord from taking over this kind of alternate universe um, England by using their steampunk and their magic characters. So think about maybe, I guess probably the closest version of this would probably be Kulmanir Knott's uh, Black Plague. So um, you have your character sheet, you're picking up weapons, you're picking up special abilities, uh, you're moving your characters around in a team. The, uh, the Overlord is sending out nasty kind of characters to take you down. And then throughout the game, what you're doing, which is a little different is you're doing kind of like almost a turn-based pre-programming action where you and your colleagues are deciding which of your characters is going to go first, second, third, and fourth, and you're placing your character cards down, and then the Overlord is placing their character cards down for their different minions that they have in play, and then when they're being revealed, you're taking your action. Now, in the previous game, Ether was this kind of magical element that was fueling that universe well you can use that element here which fuels your weapons to have like super special abilities but when you do that that material goes over to the overlord and they can use that to kind of fuel their minions so it's kind of like a little bit of a balancing act about when you want to use your special abilities because when you do that you're making the enemy more powerful uh, it's it's a kind of a challenging game. This game, by the time you hear this this um, podcast uploaded, it's going to be already on Kickstarter. It's going to be, I think, on Kickstarter on January 17th. So if you're interested in the world of Smog, Rise of Moloch, go check this out. Um, 
I'm interested in this because I did like the universe very much. And I do like the kind of steampunk aesthetic that goes on here. I'm a little concerned that this might be just another generic kind of dungeon crawl, you know, scenario type of game. But it's definitely worth a look. And Cool Mini or Not does an outstanding job on their miniatures and especially on their Kickstarter campaign. So um, jump over there and take a look. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. I love the theme. Uh, I am starting to get a little wary of how many of these dungeon crawly type hybrids Kulmini or not can put out and sustain, but sure. uh, they're good. It's just how many do you really want to own? I yeah. guess is kind of where I fall. Yeah, and I, and I think with, and I hate to say this, but <laughs> I think with Asmodee coming out with the apps for Descent already out and for Imperial Salt, you know, I think technology is going to leave some of these games behind because just having the option to you know, expedite a dungeon crawl is probably going to make it hit the table a lot more than something different. Even like, for example, Arcadia Quest, which gives you that little pad at the end of each match to kind of write down the equipment so that you can come back to it. It is still a little tedious. Um, So we might be seeing app, you know, companion apps kind of pop up a lot more in order to help the games. Yeah, I'm surprised they haven't done any yet because they have so many games that are ripe for that. And Fantasy Flight's shown that it really works, not only to make the game better, but to boost sales. You know, sure. they're selling more of their games. Things like Mansions of Madness that were dead in the water are now one of their top-selling games because of the app. So it's interesting. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, to say about this is we've we've seen this a lot more in board games, especially recently, where you're not seeing expansions, but you're seeing them take an already established board game IP and using that into different types of board games. So, for example, we saw that in the Manhattan Project where they released, you know, a different game within that same universe and with the same aesthetic, but a separate game. So I think that we're going to see that a lot more as time goes on, as board gaming becomes more established in the industry. When someone likes a game, just produce another game, but take that aesthetic and take that IP and kind of put that on that game. Yeah, definitely. We were just talking about this on the solo podcast the other day as Pandemic has started doing this, where there are multiple standalone versions of that game coming out every year now, too. So it seems to work. People still like them and they buy them and they're different enough, but it also gets it out to different niches. You know, like how many people are going to like Pandemic Cthulhu? Maybe not a lot, but the people who like Cthulhu are really going to like Pandemic Cthulhu. (laughs) uh, it, It can work if you do it right. It's true. All right. So that's our acquisition disorders for this week. And now, at the table with BGA. Let's talk about what's hitting our table this week for BGA. We want to let you know the games that we've actually gotten a chance to play recently, let you know if those games are a buy, and you should run out and pick those games up right now. If the game is just a play and something that you want to try out, or if you see it hitting a table somewhere, you should definitely get a seat at that table. If a game is a dodge, and well, it played okay, but maybe it's not really worth your time and probably not worth your money. Or if a game is worth the dreaded burn, and that game is absolutely not really a game so much as maybe a gaming experience, and it's not even worth purchasing, even on discount. All right, so with that said, Anthony, what's been hitting your table this week? All right, so I actually got a... A good number of Kickstarters came in here in the last couple of weeks and a couple more coming soon. So I guess this will be my reviews for the next couple of months. Um, the first of those I wanted to talk about is Fields of Green. This is the 
new version of Among the Stars. And it's not exactly like Among the Stars, but there are so many similarities that I'm going to keep saying it's the new version of Among the Stars. <laughs> it's not a full re-implementation. It is its own game, but it's very similar. Um, it's from Artipia Games. It's from the same designer. It uses the same little square 70 by 70 cards, and it uses a lot of the same mechanics. So basically what you're doing is you're building out a farm. The, the game works in four rounds. You are drafting cards with two to four players, and each round you're going to be putting down um, one of four different types of cards. There are field cards, which will generate food and cost water, typically. Uh, there are livestock cards, which generate money and cost food, typically. Then there are constructions, which can do all sorts of things. They can give you equipment. They can benefit other cards on the board. They can put more water on your water towers, etc. And then there are uh, buildings, which are almost all in-game scoring cards. The goal of the game is to place all these cards out, and it is exactly the same as Among the Stars in terms of placement. You have to put them adjacent to other cards on this tableau that you're building. Um, so the cards kind of expand as the game goes along. You'll play somewhere between 20 and 24 cards in that time period, so you end up with this big, sprawling farm. If a card requires water to purchase or activate, it needs to be within range of a water tower, and that water tower needs to have water on it. Um, and then if you generate food, you need to be able to store it in a silo somewhere. So there are water towers and silos that you'll be able to pick up by trading in other cards you know, on your turn instead of playing a card that you've drafted. From there, it's pretty simple. I mean, the game takes less than an hour. Uh, it took maybe 10 or 15 minutes to teach. Very, very straightforward all to all new players, including those who had not played Among the Stars before. And the thing I like about this, and the reason that I, I think it's better than Among the Stars, it, for me at least, is that it's an engine-building game first and foremost. You have to build the fields to generate the food, to feed the animals, to sell, to make the money, to buy the buildings. If you don't do that, if you don't find a way to do that, then you're not going to have enough cash at the end of the game to buy the buildings that are going to give you the victory points. Now, there are other, are other ways to get victory points. Some of the buildings are worth victory points. If you have a lot of extra food, those are worth points. The money is worth points. But the vast majority of the scoring, I'd say probably not quite half, close to half, comes from those buildings at the end of the game. So they're pretty important, that end game scoring. Uh, and having a good balance early is super, super important. And, and you don't want to be inefficient either. You don't want to just have way too much water. You don't want to put out four or five water towers because not only is every water tower you play another card you can't play, it is potentially points lost at the end of the game because you get a point for every water tower that's empty at the end of the game. And that's basically punishing you for being inefficient with your water. Um, another interesting thing is there's a harvest phase at the end of every round in which different cards activate if they have the harvest keyword. If you can't pay the cost to activate that card during the harvest phase, then you have to flip the card over. It's considered an open area. And to unflip the card later, you have to pay a card and two money. So you effectively lose that card, all of its text and abilities, and the victory points on the card if you can't activate it. So you don't want to just load up on cool stuff and then worry about activating them later. You need to balance it all out and have enough water and have enough food production and have enough money and be able to kind of scale all three of those up at the same time to the point that in the fourth round, you can just be like building, 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 building and get all your victory points out. So I really, really like that. And it's this is generally my favorite type of game is an engine builder that requires you to pay attention and follow a certain structure 
but gives you enough leeway and free form and availability of different types of cards that you don't feel like you're on rails and doing the same thing every time. So I think when we originally reviewed Among the Stars, we had two dodges and two plays, and one of the plays was a little tepid. So, <laughs> and I think that's part of the reason why is that it was, it wasn't dry necessarily. It was just it was more of a set collection game. It wasn't so much about building an engine and um, pushing things through, and it wasn't super streamlined. There were some issues with it, and I'll admit those. And I honestly haven't played it very much since. Uh, Fields of Green fixes a lot of that. I really enjoy it for whatever reason. The farming theme really clicks for me with this particular mechanism, whereas the space didn't quite uh, thematically, everything here makes perfect sense. That might be part of it. And it's really quick and easy to play. Now I backed this on the Kickstarter. So I got it directly from Artipia games. It just came in like a week or two ago. I think stronghold games has picked it up as they did with among the stars, which means it will be available for anybody who did not back it sometime later this year, probably. So don't be upset if you don't if you can't find it or you didn't back it. Um, it will be out eventually, but it's at the moment. I think only the Kickstarter backers can get this game in their hands. Uh, but it was it's a lot of fun. I really like it. It's I'm going to give it a buy. I mean, I think it's enough better than Among the Stars to hit that point. There's a lot of gameplay in the box, and it's easy and quick enough to teach to people that um, it fits a good space on the shelf. Like it's quick and easy and everybody can jump in and play. But if you really want to dive in and build the perfect engine, there's a little bit more complexity here to be had, which is kind of my favorite middle way, uh, middleweight game is that it can be heavier if you make it heavier. <laughs> so um, that's Fields of Green. Uh, this is this was a nice, pleasant surprise. I thought it would be better, but it definitely was. Yeah, this was a game that I considered backing on Kickstarter and Really, Among the Stars kind of pushed me off of it because I know it was re-implementing that mechanic, and I believe I rated it a play. I did like Among the Stars. I felt it was a little random. I felt like you were just milling cards through your hand and trying to find what you could make, and it was kind of random. And at the time, it was really very much compared to Seven Wonders, which I think in retrospect it doesn't really deserve to be in those same categories because I think it's very much a different type of game, even though there is a drafting mechanic to it. And not being able to strategically build up, but more along the lines of just like, hey, I got a random card, and this is a random card, and I can play this, and I can't play that. Along with the fact that it had so many expansions and promos and additions to it that it was really kind of hard to figure out what the best version for Among the Stars was. And I've looked at it for several times and, and been waiting for it to go on like a kind of a severe discount kind of thing because I would definitely pick it up at a big discount. So when I saw this one come up, Fields of Green, um, I was hopeful for it. And I'm really glad to see that it actually offers more strategic gameplay because I think that was what um, Among the Stars was missing. Although Fields of Green with the farming really doesn't click with me. Um, but it's, it sounds like it's something that I might want to pick up later. Yeah, definitely. And the main thing I think it does that really fixes that random problem that among the stars had is you set out the four different types of cards in four different decks and every round people will draw whichever cards they want from those decks. So you're like, okay, I want my starting hand to be four fields and then a, a, a livestock and a construction. And it even gives you recommendations for like beginners, of what to draw on those initial rounds. 
So it makes sure that there's a good mix of all the different types of cards that you need to build a good engine. Okay. Um, so you don't just get this random... Because the constructions in the buildings, while they're cool and useful, if you have too many of those, not only do you run out of money, you can't do any, very much. And it makes the game much less fun. And I think that's what would happen in Among the Stars sometimes, is the luck of the draw would just mean a bunch of cards that, while great, weren't particularly useful. Sure. Um, this fixes that really nicely. And once you play the game a couple times, you can pick and choose which ones you draw. Uh, it's, there's a couple rules. I think you have to draw from three different decks at least. But... Um, it really makes things easier. Like if you decide you want more fields in the third or fourth round, you can draw them even though nobody else is drawing them anymore. That's totally an option now versus before we just have to hope it shows up. Mm. So um, I like that a lot. I actually traded Among the Stars away maybe a year ago, six months ago, for Seven Wonders because I didn't have a copy yet. Okay. So <laughs> there you go. Um, I don't. I don't think they're comparable either. But I wanted to own that instead, and I'm glad I picked this up because this is one I'll probably keep around. Sure. Oh, maybe they'll come back to Among the Stars and take the changes they made here in Fields of Green and kind of revise, or maybe there'll be a second or a third edition. Because I just, you know, when I first got into board gaming, I was so thrilled with the fact that games had multiple expansions and multiple promos. And when you got, even when you got just got a regular, you know, base game set, you looked at the game and it had like, hey, this game has 15 ways to play. And then as I've gotten older or as I've played board games a lot more, I just want to play it the best way. I don't want 500 options. I just want it to play the best way it can play. And if you want to throw a couple of promo cards in, that's fine. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, when Among the Stars, it was just too much. And the initial game didn't play great. And maybe they fixed it with an expansion or two. So don't hate me if, if they did. Um, but I want that great game of that. And I, and I hope at some point maybe they see the success of Fields of Greens go back and fix Among the Stars. Yeah, here's hoping. I hope this is a big hit for Stronghold and Artipia because uh, it's, it's a good game. And it, you know, it's a shame that the better theme, the more interesting theme for a lot of people, uh, doesn't. I don't think it plays as well as this. I think sure. it's a better game. But of course it is. It's a reiteration of that. So that's a natural thing. And then so take that back and make it better elsewhere. That would be cool. Sure. Well, speaking about re-implementations of other games in a way, I want to talk about Terraforming Mars. Now, we recently rated this as one of the best games of 2016 and, you know, definitely deserving of such. So what Terraforming Mars does as far as re-implementing another famous game, in this case, Race for the Galaxy, is very akin to what happened when uh, trains took up Dominion. So you took this kind of world-famous deck building, and you added a board to it. So with Terraforming Mars, what you're doing is you're taking this kind of world-famous Race for the Galaxy deck play, and you're adding a board to it. Um, I've gotten a chance to play this multiple times now, and that's really what it feels like to me. We already talked about Among the Stars a bit, where you kind of get all of these cards, and some you can play, and some you can't play, and some you want to hold on to later, so you can play that. Well, so much of that goes on here. So what you're looking at is you're looking at a board which basically has Mars, and there's going to be several spots on the board which you're going to have interaction with. So starting off, you can place cities on Mars, which is one of the standard projects, or sometimes your cards allow you to do that, and that's important because that's going to score you points, especially at the end of the game, because cities are worth points based upon how many greenery is around a city. 
you'll also be able to place greenery, which will also raise the oxygen level and be able to score you additional points in a number of different ways. And there's also options to place kind of water tiles on Mars that's also going to score you some additional points in the game. And definitely, depending on the interaction, you're going to be able to chain those things together. And based upon where you place these cities, these greeneries, and the water, you're going to be able to pick up resources from those different spots on Mars. So some of those areas, especially maybe the kind of um, less attractive areas, are going to have more valuable resources on them. So you might want to place your cities or your greeneries out there. Now, in addition to the Mars board itself, you're also going to have a oxygen level, you're going to have a temperature level, and you're going to have the, I believe it's nine oceans that kind of have to come onto the board. So once all of those conditions are met at their fullest, that's the final round of the game. Now, how you raise the oxygen, the temperature, and place the oceans on the board are based upon the cards that you play in your hand or the standard actions you play that are also placed on the board. Now, the cards themselves typically come in three different flavors. There's going to be these red cards that are going to be kind of these event cards. You're going to play once, they're going to take a dramatic effect, and then they're going to be flipped over and only counted at the end of the game. You're also going to have these green cards that are going to offer you some sort of production in the game, but are also going to have a tag. It's going to have a tag, and by meaning that it's going to have a symbol on the top right of the card that you may need in order to play other cards later in the game. And then finally, there are blue cards that are going to give you an effect right at the start, but they're also going to give you an ongoing effect that you can take on as an action, or it might just have an ongoing special ability you can play throughout the game. Now, your player board itself is probably the most interesting part of the game because what you're going to be doing is generating money, generating um, metal in the game, or generating titanium in the game in order to purchase these cards at different rates. So metal is going to be worth two, titanium is going to be worth three, and the mega credits, which is the money in the game, is just going to be worth one to one. On the bottom of the board, you are going to be able to create production that's going to be able to grow plants, um, generate power, and generate heat. Now, the plants turn into those forest tiles that go onto the board. The power is going to be used in multiple ways with the cards in the game. And at the end of each round, or at the end of each generation, in, in fact, that power is going to turn to heat, which is going to help you raise the temperature in the game. Finally, there are spots in which you could you know, jockey for awards. There are milestones in the game, and when you reach certain milestones, like reaching a terraforming rating of 35, building three cities building three greenery tiles, building a certain number of cards, or having a certain number of cards in your hands, if you pay the cost and get there first, you'll be able to grab five points, which is a lot of points in this game. And then finally, there are awards. There are these big awards that are going to come into play at the very end of the game, whether you have the most tiles, you have the most production for money, you have the most science tags, you have the most heat at the end of the game, or you have the most raw materials at the end of the game. When you pay for one of those awards... It's open to everybody, so you want to make sure that you really are ready to kind of claim that award at the end of the game. Now, what's probably most interesting about this game is myself and and my friends have played this game multiple times, and the playtime for this game has varied greatly. Uh, I knew somebody who played this game with two players, and it took them four and a half hours, and I still don't understand why it took them four and a half hours, but it did. But because there was two players, there were certain combo cards that actually did better than did a four-player game. Now, I played this recently probably just under two hours with three players, and we all knew how to play the game, so we were moving quite quickly on this. 
And uh, surprisingly, we came with a three-way tie on that game, and I pulled it out with a Mega Credit production victory. But this game offers a lot of different challenges based upon the cards that you're going to have in front of you and does play a lot faster once you do know the game and if you do have a number of players because you're going to generate those final end goals conditions very quickly. This game had a lot of hype, and in in some ways it's deservingly so. We talked already about the production quality being quite low in some areas with the board, um, the player board at least, um, being very thin, and the cubes that go on the board kind of getting knocked around really easy. And I've talked to a lot of gamers, and they've said that they've gone out and purchased um, the lucite or the plastic kind of holders for the cubes, which unfortunately goes at least 5 to $10 for each player board. So you're talking about an investment of maybe 25 to $50 additional to the game just to make sure those cubes don't fly out of position. And honestly, it happened quite a few times to us in, in our gameplay. Uh, the last time I played the game, the, the, the person who owned the game gave up on the little cubes and just went with poker chips, which was a lot easier, to be honest with you. Uh, this game is a play. Um, I'm not going to say it's worth the buy just because the price is so high, the components are so low, and the card play is so random as far as what you're able to kind of put together. Uh, but it's definitely a solid play. If you do see this game played, if you can get this game at a, at a I would say at a, an honest discount, um, I think $70 is a little high for this. It's probably a $50 game. If you like Race for the Galaxy and want something a little bit more, uh, Terraforming Mars fits that, uh, I think, through and through. Yeah, this is my game of the year. And, I, you know, I will not argue with anybody who says components or cost um but i've played it so many times i don't really care about the cost too much anymore i have upgraded some components at this point because i'm 100 percent with you the the player mats are just borderline unusable it's it's a nightmare the second or third time that somebody knocks those cubes on the floor and can't remember where they were it's it's just not worth it um yeah it's, I think, ha- it's happened to us several times and, and the funny thing is even when you're picking up cubes to drop on your board you have to be very careful because they bounce. So you, you, you just you put your hover over there and they bounce and they bounce somewhere else and you don't notice. And next thing you know, like, oh, did I have this resource or did it not get to the different level? It's it's just an odd – those you know silver, bronze, and gold cubes are nice, but it's just such an odd idea. I don't know. Yeah. yeah I mean it's – in some ways it's elegant to have one component that kind of manages all that. Otherwise it would be a bit – too fiddly but at the same time the way it is done doesn't really work that well hmm. um i've had games where you can see somebody has accidentally bumped stuff into the wrong boxes and you know how sometimes you're watching someone play and you're like are you cheating and in this case it's like i know you're not cheating it's just this is a mess so you want to you're just constantly trying to pay attention to your own stuff and make sure everybody else is okay and nobody's bumping stuff all over the place um that is frustrating especially with the amount that this game has been played I will not argue with that. For me, it's still totally a buy. I, I played it that much and loved it that much. And as a solo gamer, the solo game here is so good. But sure. I hear you on all that stuff. Did you pick up the Lucite plastic holders for the boards? I did. I did, yeah. And uh, I got ones that lock in. Um, they So the, there's little tabs that go in and they kind of lock everything together. The only problem with that is it's hard to get everything to fit in the box. Okay. Um if you have those, like it just doesn't quite fit. They're a little too thick. So I had to take one of the mats out of the box. I don't like to play this game with five players anyways. So 
it's not a huge deal, but I don't like to also not have that option because yeah. if you have people who are like, I really want to play, you don't want to tell them no. <laughs> but um, I'm like, I couldn't fit the fifth player mat in the box. But those help a lot. Like they lock in really nicely. And so. did, you, did you sleeve the cards? Because the cards are black bordered, which is chips can chip a lot. I didn't sleeve the cards because of how high that deck is. Okay. You know, I started playing with the corporation cards pretty early and that's like 300 cards. You stack that up with sleeves. It's going to be a nightmare. But you know, 15 plays in now, I'm starting to regret it because the cards do not look good. So yeah, it was it was surprising because the card quality is very thin, and the whole back is black. And every time you anytime you see that as as a gamer, you're like, oh no, this is not a bad, this is a really bad combination. And I when I broke the game out the first time, I was almost like, can you guys be really, really, really careful? Because I don't because once the cards get chipped, that's that's kind of done and. I know somebody sleeved it with perfect fit, and even then they had to kind of like stack books up to- on top of it in order to kind of, you know, make them fit perfectly. And like you said, the, the box itself is quite small. Like, it's very unforgiving. I-, I even bagged and had little containers for the cubes, and the box doesn't close completely, which is quite odd for a, a board game that's so small as far as components are concerned. Yeah, the only thing I could think is that nobody expected this to be the hit that it is, so they didn't really think about these production issues very much. Like, oh, it'll be a niche thing, it'll be fun, fine. But like, the fact that everybody has it, everybody wants it, and everybody who does have it is playing it a lot, is making all these things that much more pronounced. Like, I wouldn't even have noticed card quality issues. I mean, I noticed the black back, but I didn't notice it all until like half a dozen plays in. There are plenty of games that I own that I would probably never have found out. <laughs> I don't play them that much. But in this case, I was like, ugh, all right, well, it's too late now. I play it a lot. Maybe I'll just replace them someday. But that is frustrating. And I think for me, this game replaces Race for the Galaxy. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, it's. I didn't even think about comparing the two until you said that. But just the feel of it and the accessibility. And it's not a super accessible game, but it's also not a super unaccessible game. I could totally see that. Okay, what's your second? All right, so the other game I picked up, well, didn't pick up, that showed up in the mail, um, is another Kickstarter game that I backed last year, and that's Santorini. So this game is a, it's actually been around for a little while, so this is another game that's not 100% new, but this version of it is so different than what you might see in, you know, if you Googled it and went to the original listing on a Board Game Geek from 2004. It is a, it's an abstract game, and basically what you're doing is you are moving one of two guys on a board, and you are placing towers. So you can place a base on each on your turn, each of your turns. You have to move and then build something. So you can place a base, you can climb up and you place um, the middle level, you can place the top level, or you can cap something. And all you have to do is be adjacent to that space. You don't have to be like on that level. To win the game, you need to reach the third level. You need to climb up these buildings and be on a third level. But the other person can come in and cap your buildings too to make it so you can't get to the third level. That's pretty much it. That's the original game. Difference in this version of the game with the... Well, the main main difference, if you look at it, is the production quality. The original one is just blocks on a white board. This is a beautifully produced Greek myth-themed game. So there's... This raised board, these plastic pieces that stick together. So you're on this mat that's like above the water on these rock outcropping. Each of these towers is a molded piece of plastic. So you have a base that's different than the middle level. The top level is columns. The top, the cap of it is like this blue dome. 
the little miniatures are different for each of the different colors you can play. There are rules for three and four players. There are god cards, which is actually what adds most to this game, that give you special abilities throughout the game um, that you can kind of break things in different ways as you move around. This is so much fun. I don't know. Like, if you just looked at it, it the at first glance, it just looks like a very basic abstract game. And I can see how, you know, 13 years ago, that's all it was. But what's been created here by Roxley Games, not only is it spectacular production, like it looks really nice and it's really sturdy. Like I play this with my five-year-old and he does all sorts of crazy things with these pieces. It, it's just a really fun game. And it's it's one of those, you know, I think their tagline was 30 seconds to master or 30 seconds to learn a lifetime to master, one of those types of things. And that's totally true. This take, game takes no time to learn at all, but there's so many different elements to it. You're, the way you move, how you place your things, you have your two guys, you have to try to build a space and set yourself up in a corner where you can reach the third level without the other person being able to block it while at the same time playing defense to stop them from doing the same thing. And then you throw those you know, asymmetrical powers in there just to mix things up. And they, so far they seem really well balanced. I really, really like this. And... I generally like abstract games anyways, but this one in particular, I think, is this is going to be a big hit this year. It just got to Kickstarter backers, I think, right before Christmas. So it's I don't know when it's supposed to hit store shelves, probably sometime middle of the year. But, you know, assuming that they have enough produced and that people can get them where they want them uh, and it's going to be in places people can find it. I think this will be a really, really strong hit. It's it's just really cool. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. It doesn't seem like it should work production wise. It seems like you should be looking at this and think, wow, that's way overproduced. And it is overproduced, but it works, and I love it. So that's Santorini. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing this on Kickstarter, too. And it was like the way the game plays out is completely abstract. So I was like, eh, all right, I'm going to pass on this. And I've seen this in person, and, man, is it overproduced. It is tremendously <laughs> overproduced. Like there's like it's sitting above the board. Like it's yep. kind of lifted and twisted and I'm just looking at this thing. I'm going, why? What? All right. And as you said, the the production the production of the the production of the characters that you move around the board are really well detailed miniatures, and all the artwork that comes along with the different god cards is really interesting, and it it looks beautiful. I mean, it just looks like a really beautiful game. And I'm not a fan of abstracts, to be honest. And this might be something that I actually might want to pick up. Does it play well with different player counts? You know, I haven't really done it much. Okay. Uh, the three-player version is just straight up a three-player version. You are playing, you know, there's three sets of miniatures in the box, and each person just does their thing. Uh, so it makes it a little more chaotic, really. And you can almost kind of stumble into a win if you don't have three people who know how to play. Sure. Um, the four-player version, you're each playing one miniature for each side. So it's team versus team kind of a thing, which okay. is... Never ideal. I think it's it's definitely a two player game. It's meant for two. I think the three and four three and four player variants. Um, I don't know if they were thrown in there for the Kickstarter or he developed them anyways. But you know they're nice to have. I think the three player would be fun here and there. But uh, for the most part, this is a game that you would play against somebody else. And most games are pretty quick, fifteen twenty minutes. I played. I think when I first got it, I think my son and I played four or five times in a row because he really really likes it. And the thing is, too, about the production and the artwork, 
it is overproduced. If you're a gamer and you're sitting down, you don't mind abstracts being abstract. You're like, what is all this? <laughs> if you're a father and you're sitting down with your son and you're like, well, here's a, here's a fun game that'll make you think. All my son sees is like miniatures and towers and these artwork on these cards and he gets to stack these things. He was all about it. Sure. Um, so I loved it. I think it's great. And yeah. It's, I don't mean overproduced produced in a bad way. It's just, it is significantly it is overproduced. overproduced. <laughs> so. It's comically so. Yeah. yeah. Um, I almost didn't back it because of that, but then, you know, watched a video or two. I was like, oh, you know what? I like abstracts. It seems like it could be fun. And I'm really glad I did because this is really good. Sure. So it sounds like best at two players then. Yeah, definitely. Which is, which is true about most abstracts, I think. Yeah, I don't think the three and four player rules almost ever work in a game that's designed like this. It's it's not even asymmetrical. It's just I don't. It just doesn't feel the same. Yeah, when I've seen people playing this game next to me, and I've asked them about the game, they're like, "He won." I'm like, "Oh, what what happened?" Like, "Oh, he did this one thing, and that's that's what threw the game, or that's what you know how he won the game for this one one move, one action kind of thing." So. You know, maybe it's a combination of the god powers, how they come come into play. Or like you said, because when it's three or four players, some games just break down. They can't handle that number of, of players. And, it, and like the chaos kind of ensues. Yeah, because here's the thing with this, too. Like there's only three levels and then you have to get up to that third level. So the second that somebody gets to the point where they could theoretically do that, the opponent needs to move in there and cap that tower sure. so they can't climb up there. If you have three people and for whatever reason, two people at the same time get to that point one of them's gonna win gotcha like it just the balance is thrown off you can't it's not a tug of war anymore it's someone getting not lucky necessarily but it it becomes that one move like you do that one thing you move to the right corner and the other person happens to go after the other guy and then you're good it's it's almost like winning tic-tac-toe sure like most people don't but occasionally you do on accident because someone went (laughs) to the wrong spot like yeah um yeah, and like you said, with a three-player, everyone has to manage each other. Otherwise, someone's going to run away with it. Exactly. Yeah, and I just I think it could work if everybody knows how to play the game really well. But if I was playing this with like my son and my wife, that would it wouldn't be good. <laughs> like, yeah, like you gotta you gotta watch that. Oh, and it's over. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm five. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's no excuse. Come on, man. <laughs> All right. Well, another game that's actually getting. A similar type of controversy is Great Western Trail. I finally got this game to the table and got a couple of plays of this. And it was surprising because a lot of people had this game. And and a designer is Alexander Feister, who produced Mombasa, which we all love. And every game group that I've been to, Mombasa has always been out at least at some point. So when I've asked around, because I don't have a copy of this game, if somebody would break this out so I get a chance to play it, I've gotten a lot of mixed kind of feelings about like, yeah, we've played it. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how they did this and I couldn't do this. So when I finally got to the table, I was kind of concerned about what I was going to be actually looking at. So what you're doing in this game is you are moving cattle um, up to Kansas City. Now, in my version inside my head, I'm moving the cattle through the Underground Cattle Railroad to freedom. What other people are doing with their cattle, I'm not too sure. But my cattle are moving toward freedom. Um, (laughs) Nonetheless, this game is interesting because you're going to take your cowboy kind of character. And the board itself looks very similar to Kalos in a way in which you are going to be placing buildings on this kind of map, this linear map in a way, which kind of branches off. But 
the buildings that you're going to place on the board are going to affect the gameplay, not just for you, but for everybody else, depending on the buildings that are placed. In addition, there are barriers and hazards that are going to stop people or um, cost people money that they're going to have to pay the bank or they're going to have to pay the other players if the building that that other player placed has kind of a toll there. In addition, there are TPs in this game in which you're going to be able to trade with Indians that are going to be giving you additional money resources in the game or can actually cost you resources in the game. So basically, you start out, you're going to place your person, your meeple, somewhere on the map to start out with, and you're going to activate that tile. Now, there are going to be generic tiles in the game that are going to offer you different options. So you can sell cattle, you can purchase characters such as cowboys, which are going to give you more options to purchase cattle, Uh, engineers that are going to be able to move your train a a lot quicker, or builders that are going to help you build buildings at cheaper cost. So as the game goes on, these buildings that are on the board are going to be the vast majority of the gameplay here. Now you're going to have your own player board that's going to offer you a lot of additional options as you play the game, because just like Terra Mystica, where there are cubes that are blocking access to special abilities as you move your cattle up to kansas city you are going to have the opportunity to remove one of those cubes or little cylinder discs place it on the railroad track get some special bonus at the end of the game and then open up a special ability for you so a lot of the game is running up to kansas city moving that cube or that cylinder off running back down hitting those buildings, running back up to Kansas City, moving those cubes, running back down, hitting those buildings again. And as the game goes on, there's going to be more and more buildings placed by your opponents that are going to make things a little more costly for you. You're going to pick up more additional cattle in the game. Now, when you're purchasing additional cattle, they're going to be they're going to be scoring you victory points at the end of the game. There are special places on the railroad track that you're going to pick, be picking off Um, special bonus tiles. There are objective cards that you're going to try to meet before the end of the game reaches. Just a lot of little different kind of, I won't say fiddly because it all really plays very tightly together, but a large number of options that you can play in this game. During my first play of this game, I, I won by a large majority. I think I had 41 points just in cattle And I don't know how I won that game. I was like, well, cattle's worth points. Why am I not going for cattle? So I kept picking up cattle because I kept going to the buildings where I could sell cattle for like two money and then pick up cattle at a reduced rate because I was picking up cowboys every round. Because each and every time that you go to place your disc for delivering your cattle, you are going to place hazards on the board. You're going to place more Uh, people that are going to kind of go on this track that's going to eventually cause the end of the game. So it's a lot of different interactions that come along this game. And I could see why it's confusing and challenging for people because right at the start, there's hazards stopping you. And there are players rushing towards the end. And there are a lot of ways for victory in this game. Now, this game for me, I would say is a solid play bordering on the buy. I find the theme a little boring, uh, a little too generic for my taste. I would like to see this in probably a different version, but it does play very tightly. I would say that anytime this hits the table, I would probably jump in to play this game because it offers a lot of different opportunities for victory and a lot of different pathway building. So you can kind of almost build your own kind of special production track there. 
And then the player board, because you're removing different cubes, you can kind of figure out, well, I want to kind of pare down my deck or I want to build my deck up and have more cards in my hand. So there's a lot of different ways to uh, win this game or to challenge other players to this kind of victory condition. And the objective cards are there and available. It might have a little too much to it, a lot of too many kind of mechanics thrown in here, but it's a solid play and it kind of borders on a buy. Yeah, this is I've I've had almost the exact same experience as you. It's I really really like this game a lot. Every time I played it, I was like, "Man, this is such a well-designed game." But every time it's sitting there on the shelf, I'm like, "Man, it's such a boring-looking box." I don't know. <laughs> it's such a like my two big issues with the game and they're they're small comparatively because a lot of other games have these issues is one, it takes ridiculously long to teach people how to play this. It does. It does. So long. So there have been two or three times where I've brought it or someone else has pulled it out at game night and I haven't been able to play because it's been close. It's been a little too close where it would have gone late and I don't, you know, I need to get home. And it's even if a two, two and a half hour game, you're looking at three and a half hours because it takes an hour to teach it. It's so long to teach. And at the same time, it's really hard for anybody to really understand how it works until you've played a round or two just because you know, racing to the end doesn't necessarily benefit you unless you have a certain setup where it can benefit you. I mean, you get to score more often, but you don't have as good a car. Yeah, you know, like the flow of the game doesn't make perfect sense until you've played it through at least once. Once you do, it's like, oh, this is great. I get it. But there's a lot going on. It's similar to Mombasa like that. Like that game just always took a long time to teach people how to play. Sure. But all that said, really, really enjoyed the plays that I have had of this game. I wish I got to play it a little bit more so I could get a better sense of it. But I think I'm in the same boat. Like, definitely a play. Not sure on the buy part I, just because of those issues and how often it gets out, but definitely like it. Yeah, I think there's a challenge with this game, especially where it seems like a victory condition would be to place your tile up atop because you're going to get money. You have to go to Kansas City. You're going to be able to move a you know cube or a cylinder disc off your board, which is going to open up other things. But honestly, that is not a solid winning strategy. Yes, it opens up other things. Yes, it makes your production a little bit better. But people who are racing towards that end wasn't really finding victory. You find victory with the cattle cards. You find Mm -hmm. victory with the objectives, meeting them. And a couple of other minor areas where you're kind of like building up maybe your cowboys to reach, you know, eight victory points. But, yeah, it's definitely a game you have to play. And and after they explained the rules to me, I was like, okay, I understand all the rules. Now, what makes sense here? And they're like, well, you could do anything. I'm like, that doesn't help. I'm like, (laughs) I see the final place where you need to go. So going there would make sense to get there quickly. But no, that really doesn't make sense. And, like, so it's a lot of good stuff. But I don't know if it's ever going to hit the table long term for any extent of gameplay like you said with the teaching and just the fact that it's just a lot i don't know i don't know i don't really have a rip around what it is it's good it's a it's a lot as far as it's not too heavy i wouldn't say it's a heavy game it's just you got to think about what you want to build and when you want to build it and when you want to skip a building and when do you want to stay on a building but uh, it doesn't really have any clear victory goals, I guess. If, if the objective yeah. cards were a little more substantial, 
Like if they were worth maybe double or triple the points, then you'd be like, I need to go for these cards. Or if you had a player power that was unique at the start of the game, then that may kind of guide the gameplay. But otherwise, it's kind of it's kind of missing something. It's a little jittery. It's like it's like like a train car that's not fully locked down. It's just rattling around a little bit. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's just not intuitive. Like you can look at it and understand all the rules, but you like when I play a game, I like to get a map in my head of the flow of it. Like you do this, like when I describe fields of green, like you do this, so you can do this, so you can do this, so you can do this. Now that's super simplified. That's like a medium sure. weight game. This is a heavier game, and so there's going to be more to it. But I can't quite create that map from this game, at least not yet. That's why I want to play it more. I can't just think in my head like, okay, well, today this is the type of strategy I'm going to run because th- these are the things I want to have happen in this order, in this flow. It doesn't really work like that. Um, that doesn't make it bad. It's just a very different way to approach a game and think about it. And yeah, like you can't, the thing that makes sense that seems like it should make sense to go do, like rush to the end, deliver as many cattle as you can, get that money. It doesn't, like you said, people who do that, I've never seen them win. It doesn't make sense. You really have to build up your deck, but you can't only build up your deck because then you're never getting to the end and scoring. So you have to balance those two very carefully, but you also have to balance that with like four other things. So it's it's a very unique game in that way. It's very unique, and and it's I'm glad this is out there. I would say Kalis is probably a better version of this, even though it came out earlier. So I would recommend playing that if if you have a choice between the two, or if you have a choice between picking up the two. But uh, yeah, it's a great Western Trail. Hoping that there's an expansion to kind of tighten it up a little bit, or hoping that it's rethemed or reimplemented in a way that makes it a little tighter so uh yeah another another solid game and now bga's feature review so for our feature review what we're looking at is our 2017 top most anticipated board game releases so we're going to take a look at which games are going to be hitting Kickstarter, hitting the store, hitting limited release, and hitting the upcoming cons. So you know which games to look out for, and hopefully which games will be hitting your table in 2017. So Anthony, what are we looking at? All right, so we have a whole bunch of games here. Some of them will be big fatty duh, like you know, <laughs> this game should be on the list. And then some of them are the fun ones that we've kind of picked out that we're excited to see. And not all of them will be successful because you never really know. I would have never expected Seafall to crash and burn so bad last year. All right, so the first one on the list is one that was announced at Gen Con. This is the, I'm not really sure what they're doing, but we can talk about that. And that's Rune Wars Miniature Game from Fantasy Flight Games. This is a full-blown miniature combat game, but they're releasing it in a big box set. And it seems like it's replacing Battle Lore uh, because those are being all clearanced out. So it's going to be kind of their miniature game of choice set Ooh. in that Battle Lore universe. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No elves. Sorry, oh, man. Damn it! <laughs> so, yeah, this is one. We got to see it. We got to see it fully painted and, and in action in Gen Con, but we've not yet played it because it's, it's not out yet. Um, it should be out here in the next, I think they said quarter one, so in the next three months. I think this game is going to crash and burn. Just, just my feeling on it. It looks great. It's nice to have the painted miniatures. I just don't think the IP is going to take it that far, especially when they're bailing on battle lore. So look forward to this game hitting your uh, clearance aisle pretty soon. Yeah. I mean, it. yeah, battle lore didn't work. And if you were one of the lucky few who got everything battle lore for like 100 bucks. Uh. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That game was like close to my trade pile. And then I got to, I basically got all this stuff for it for next to nothing. I'm like, uh... well, now I'm going to keep it. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man. But yeah, yeah, I don't see this one going anywhere either. All right. What's next? All right. So the next one up is the newest game from the designer of Seasons and Lords of Zidit. Um, Regis Bonasse. I might probably butchering that name. It is Dice Forge. Um, it is exactly what it sounds like. You'll be crafting dice throughout the game as you uh, generic fantasy mechanic number one, generic <laughs> seize mythical objects, fight legendary monsters, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, it's a fantasy style game. The artwork looks really great. It does have a unique uh, kind of dice construction system that you're going to be using to kind of build up your dice and upgrade them and get new stuff with them. So it could be really cool or it could not work at all. What do you think? Well, it looks like Rattlebones with the upgraded dice. And while that game was hilariously bad, it really still wasn't any kind of fun. So I'm going to say that this is a gimmick. And I don't think gimmicks are necessarily bad, but I think this is a gimmick that's unfortunately not going to hit the mark and just going to fall off the train. And I think I will be picking this up at discount at Barnes & Noble at some point later in the year. It's from a good designer, though. I love the designer. I love his games. I'm I'm really happy. I just I've played with the dice mechanic, and it just does not work well. Yeah, I'm I'm hesitant on this one too. I really want it to be good, though, so it's on my list for sure. Okay. All right. So the next one is a game that uh, backed on Kickstarter not too long ago. This is the newest from Vital Lacerda, Lisboa. This is his game of reconstructing Lisboa after the Great Earthquake of 1755. As you can imagine, being a Lacerda game, it is this massive sprawling board with all this stuff going on. Um, It's city-building, economic Euro game. It's going to be heavy. It's going to have a lot of stuff. And I can't even fully compress everything that's going to be in this game based on, you know, what's been released so far. And, you know, a lot of people have been able to play it thus far if if you're in Europe and lucky enough to see it at a convention. But I'm very, very excited about this because so far all of his games have been amazing brain burning and painful but amazing yeah i I agree i think his games have been outstanding unfortunately they do take so long and they are so not just heavy but a a little clunky just a little clunky where the game time really doesn't allow for you know bringing new players into it and i think his games have really while you know well respected have kind of dropped off the radar i'm assuming that this one's going to do the same where it's going to be well respected it's going to ha- kind of have a niche audience to it because of the gameplay and, and the, the kind of the crunchiness. But I'm a little worried about this. I was going to back it on Kickstarter, but I just never felt like I was going to get it to the table because I haven't been able to get his other games to the table. I will probably pick this up at some point, but I, I can't imagine ever hitting the table like the other games, like The Gallerist or even Kanban. You know, really hasn't hit it like it really needs to. Yeah, I'm with you. It's tough. The only thing that gives me hope is the newer vintage the the upgraded version of vinos where they simplified everything a lot mm-hmm. it's still a very good game but it's a little bit more accessible so i'm hoping he's keeping that in mind with his new games because they're always so good but they are very dense yeah i think co2 is, is going to be in a, a kind of a reprint of that that coming up that some another game that i really wanted to get and just no one ever brought it to the table because they're just like nah it's just i can't teach that game and i'm like wow okay All right, moving on. (laughs) (laughs) So looking forward to this, wanting to play this. Hope I get to play this. Yeah, definitely. All right, so the next one on the list is yet another Kickstarter game. Uh, This is Seventh Continent, and this was funded, might have even been 2015. It's been a while. But it is a solo or cooperative choose-your-own-adventure exploration board game. That's the tagline that they're using. Uh, Basically, you have a character, you begin your adventure, you work your way through it. 
and you are playing out different cards and tiles and basically building your own board game as you progress. And there are hundreds of cards, hundreds of options. It has the the saving system that they've uh, touted where you can kind of stop where you're playing and it'll save where you are and you can resume later. Uh, so it's not quite legacy. It's, it's more like the approach of a video game than of a legacy board game, but extremely big. There's a lot of content here. So we're very interested to see it in action, having not played it yet, but it looks really unique and interesting. Yeah, this was something I saw on Kickstarter and I was really interested in it. It was a little pricey for what you were getting, but obviously a lot of time and effort went into this game. I did not pick this up mainly because it seemed like this would be a game that would be playing more kind of a solo version. I know it's got co-op play, but it didn't seem like you know the many of hours of exploring that this game offered probably would be something that you would be able to get to a gamer's table probably, you know, like, hey, guys, we can play this kind of really simplistic kind of, you know, interactive co-op game for hours. No? Okay. <laughs> so I saw this as a solo game, which is typically not what I'm going to get to my own personal table. But, man, I, I really wish I could. I really wish I could pick this thing up at a reasonable price because I think this might be a game I would actually want to play solo. Yeah, I passed on this twice. First on the Kickstarter, second on the late backer, and it's because of another game on this list that I already backed, and I'm like, there's no way I'll have time for this, but sure. it does look really good. Mm-hmm. All right, next game on the list is going to be on Kickstarter soon. Uh, this is Dungeon Alliance. This is the newest game from Andrew Parks. And it's his second game that he's releasing on his own after Canterbury, uh, which we talked about way, 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 way <laughs> back on episode three. Um, and so this game is... Very different from that one. This is a deck building game with miniatures uh, for one to four players. And what makes it unique is you're going to start the game with four different heroes that you'll draft. And then you'll get a starting deck of cards based on those heroes. So each of those card, each of those heroes has three cards. So you're going to have a different 12-card starting deck no matter how you approach the game. Um, so you'll be doing things like killing monsters, battling one another, getting treasure. You know, fantasy trope, fantasy trope. But <laughs> the... Generic fantasy trope, generic fantasy trope, (laughs) generic monster. But you'll be getting different experience points and building up. And the thing that really catches me on this is it's one to four players. It's got that kind of semi-co-op, you know, approach to it. But the the way you build your deck to start and then build it as the game progresses sounds very interesting. It's not just another dungeon crawl with miniatures, which I think at this point I have enough. I don't need any (laughs) more. Yeah, we've always enjoyed Andrew Park's games and... This could be another winner. It's nice to see miniatures along with this game. I know that'll help out the Kickstarter. There isn't too much information about this game, and probably the only challenging thing about this game, either to pick it up or get to the table, is, as Anthony says, it looks so generic, generic times, generic cube, generic square, generic, that I think it's going to get lost. Um, I think it's going to probably be a very good game. I just think it's going to get lost. Yeah, I mean, you just had a fantasy deck builder dungeon crawl in Clank that just came out, which is a very good game. And immediately upon seeing this, I'm like, is it like Clank? And that's never good. Sure. So I'm hoping that there is some either a low kind of entry level to purchase this game or it comes with some outstanding stretch goals because I can't unfortunately see picking this up with so much other content out there that's almost identical to it. Yeah, it's definitely potentially a problem, but we'll see. It could be real good. So the next one here is a, it's an expansion. Not a lot of expansions on this list, but this is one I'm, I'm very much looking forward to. And that's Hashbelnect, the Ruhr Valley. This is the first expansion for um, Hashbelnect, the story of coal farming. 
That's easy and, for you to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody else. <laughs> I got it. I did it. It, this is it's going to add two new modules and 20 new 21 new development tiles and i think this game absolutely needs this i liked hashball a lot and the more i played it the less i found myself wanting to play it and it's just because it's very samey you go through similar mechanics every time uh, it's the same tiles out there every time if you're playing with a full player complement it's not enough variability in the setup uh, and the start of the game and so adding new development tiles adding new challenging modules and these different things that you can do it's a necessity for me to want to keep playing this game so i'm excited for this one as well yeah i think this is definitely one of those types of expansions which is going to be a must expansion for the base game and that i'm sure maybe a year from now we're going to say don't buy the base game unless you buy the expansion along with it because as you said it was a really fine base game and i really enjoyed playing it but it definitely needed more and this is the more that's looking for and I will purchase the expansion with the base game as soon as I get the chance to purchase the base game. I think it was out of print for a while. Yeah, that the uh, version that Capstone printed, I mean, people picked it up and it's definitely been popular, but it's, yeah, it, it plays itself out pretty quickly, which is always a problem with the Euro. So I'm sure. glad to see they're expanding already. Nice job, guys. All right. So next up, we have Tiny Epic Quest, and this is the biennial Tiny Epic release. Uh, <laughs> number five, six, I don't know what they're on now. But um, this one's a little bit different. It comes with, Item meeples, trademark pending. And so it's these little meeples that they've created that can hold items, which I'm sure it's a gimmick. I don't care. It looks cool. I'm excited to see them. But the game itself, it's it's a quest game. And it's thematically, if you look at the box cover, you can tell immediately what they're going for. It's that Legend of Zelda style, uh, semi-open world, day slash night travel uh, quest style game. So you'll be, there's a day and night cycle in the game. You'll be traveling, visiting villages, getting quests, learning spells. Not quite full-on fantasy trope, fantasy trope, fantasy trope, because it's kind of following that Zelda model. But it's it's tiny epic, and it allows you to kind of explore this big, wide board. And I don't know. I always like these games. I've never actually loved one of their games, but it seems like this one could be the one that I would kind of go over the over the edge and be a little bit more than what they put together in the past. Yeah, the equipment that goes along with the meeples is just... It's obvious and it's genius, and I applaud it because it looks amazing. But as you said, I've never been in love with the any of the epic games. I, I have epic games that are not tiny, and I have have tiny games that are epic. And these games never seem to have enough punch for me to really make me pick them up. I know Daniel's a big fan of these games. It's just a little too light. It's a little too thin, and... It's a little, surprisingly, the boxes are a little too big to be tiny anymore. And it's not something I could just throw in my bag and, and bring to like a lunch table. It's, they're pretty expansive. So I appreciate holding on to the theme there, but it really doesn't kind of fit any particular niche that I'm looking for. The games do play long enough that I could play just a regular Euro game or a regular adventure game and not have to play with the, the lesser components. Yeah, Tiny Epic Western uses a lot of space, and this one looks to be equally big. So I, I'm starting to find it funny that it's Tiny Epic anymore, but sure. the theme is fun. It's fine. It's a fun yeah. thing, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so the next one is a game that everybody thought was going to make it in 2016. It didn't quite, and that is Brazil. This is the newest game from, I'm going to butcher these, sorry in advance, Nuno Bizarro, Sintiero, and Paulo Soledad. So these are the this is the design team behind um, a lot of games from What's Your Game. These guys have done Nippon, which is one that we both talked about recently. I um, like that one a lot. Solid. Uh, Madeira Solid. and Panamax. 
Solid. So, yeah. Three solid, heavy games um, that have all come out in the last few years. And this is their newest one. So it's about uh, gold mining slash oil mining in Brazil, as well as the sugar rush. Um, it's basically just economic exploitation of a, a specific country. Um, so every euro ever. Yes. Um, it's a card-based game. And thematically, it's hard to tell what's, what's here without really div- digging into it. I can go into a ton of detail. But these guys' games have always been really good. Uh, what's your game puts out good quality products. The board looks interesting. And thematically, you know, the crossover... It going beyond mining and actually focusing on things like building up infrastructure for houses, stores, farms, churches, roads, all that stuff. It seems very interesting. And even if you just said, these guys are making a new game, it would probably be on my list as something to check out. So definitely on the list for this year. Yeah, this game is almost definitely an instant buy just because their other games have been so solid. The board looks really nice. The mechanics look really interesting. The variable player powers, the worker placement mechanics it just it seems different enough that it's going to hit the table and get notice, but it seems familiar enough that you're actually going to get this game played. So um, I'm looking forward to this game a lot. Yeah, this is definitely going to be a fun one. And we don't really know when it's coming. Usually they release around Essen, but the game was originally supposed to be Essen last year, so it might make it a little bit earlier this time around. Maybe we'll actually get lucky this time at Gen Con and get some heavy euros for once. <laughs> that would be a change. Yeah. All right, so next on the list, this is the only non-cardboard game on the list. This is the... <laughs> Imperial Assault app, which we don't have a date on. All we know is that it exists and they're working on it. But as soon as I knew it existed, I was giddy because I own so much Imperial Assault stuff and I really haven't played it that much. But it's Star Wars miniatures. I buy them. They're there. They're on the shelf. <laughs> um, this app's going to be great. It's going to open up the game and make it the same way Descent did. And it really spiked sales for that game. And this game already sells really well. It's going to make it accessible for people who don't like the one versus many. I don't really like that, especially as the owner of the game. I have to play the Imperials every time, and I, I want to I want to be the good guys occasionally. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's also going to make it so I can play it by myself or with my son and not have to worry about kind of managing the rules on both sides. So I'm really excited for this. It is going to be an instant download. It's free, obviously, but it's something where it's going to keep me buying Imperial Assault stuff, and I'm probably going to play that game a lot when this comes out. The companion app with these scenario campaign games really are going to become more and more a necessity and may actually finally get me to break down and actually buy one of these games because, as you said, since you typically have to teach games over and over and since it's hard to get the same group of people back to the same game over and over again, the app allows you a lot more flexibility to kind of manage these campaigns and actually play these games in ways that was never possible previously. Yeah, I mean, teaching this game takes, you know, 30, 40 minutes. There's a lot of stuff. It's a Ameritrash game. But like Mansions of Madness with that app, you can set it up, teach it, and start playing within like 10 minutes. It's great. It's amazing. So next on the list, uh, another Kickstarter. Uh, This one's coming hopefully real soon. This is the newest from Tim Fowers, and that's Fugitive. It's a a card game for two players, 5 to 20 minutes or so. Uh, Bringing back the same artist again, we have Ryan Goldsberry. Love his work on paperback and Burgle Brothers. And basically, you have one person playing the fugitive and the other person playing the agent trying to catch the fugitive. And you just be playing cards back and forth until one person wins. Simple as that. It's a basic bluffing game, but it just seems so streamlined and accessible. And again, I love the artwork. They're using original you know, imagery for a lot of these different cards. It could have it seems like the kind of game that could have easily just phoned it in production wise because it's pretty simple, like, straightforward two player card game. Uh, and there's a lot to it. So I love it, and I'll take anything set in the world of Burgle Brothers because it's just a, a fun, 
you know, <laughs> I just love that theme. Yeah, I think all of their games have been outstanding. I really do love the artwork, and the gameplay seems very, very interesting. I haven't got a chance to pick up any of these games yet, but it's on my list, and I probably at some point will pick up all three at the same time. It just seems to be just really different types of games that I don't think we've seen anything like these combinations of um, ideas in play. And I just think the distribution, since it is kind of like, you know, almost like a single man operation, since we haven't seen these games in mass production at, at local friendly game stores or on the online game stores so much that it really hasn't really made the impact that it's, you know, really deserved of. So at some point, definitely, I'm going to pick this up, and I'm hoping that these games actually hit the table somewhere. They, they're they wonderful, but they're few and far between as far as hitting the game table. That is true. Yeah, they are hard to find. So I know that's something we talked about on uh, the solo podcast, is that it's probably what's holding these games back, is that they're just not out there. Yeah, they're the total hipster games of the board gaming community. Yeah, yeah, right? I feel so hip. <laughs> I have all this stuff, man. There Great. you go. I even have a tower. Oh, uh, man. <laughs> Brothers. All right, so the next game is another Kickstarter, and this one should be in backers' hands in the next three or four weeks or so, uh, and then for everybody else, hopefully mid-year, and by Gen Con, you know, people will be able to pick this up, and that's Gloomhaven. Mm-hmm. This is one of the most anticipated games of the year, I think, on Board Game Geek, on those lists, and it's a game I want more than anything to work. <laughs> I haven't played it. If you read about it or look at it, you think, I don't know if this will work, Early initial reviews are, are pretty good, but we'll see, because it's a long game. It's a legacy game, and that's it's a Euro-inspired tactical combat legacy game with dungeon crawling. I don't know what's going to happen, but it seems so cool. Um, it's kind of got that choose-your-own-adventure mechanics to it. There's a book that you're going to move through to different options. You'll be placing stickers on the board as you progress and kind of build out the game world. And the game mechanics themselves are pretty interesting. We got a chance to play this back at Origins, but we didn't get the chance to explore any of the legacy or choose your own adventure or expansion of the game world elements. We just kind of got the basic mechanics. Um, and it didn't feel like too much more than a pretty standard dungeon crawler with some unique card play where each card has two options. You have to pick which one you're going to do, but I'm still really excited for it. There's a lot of cool stuff described here and the box has grown to such epic proportions that I forgot how much it's going to weigh, 15, 20 pounds or something when it shows up, but there's something like 1,500 cards in here. I don't know. I'm excited. I'm going to play it. I'm, gonna, I'm hoping I love it. Yeah. When we got to play it, it was, once again, a little generic as, as far as the gameplay is concerned, but we didn't get to play all the other elements and the major dynamic elements that go along with this game. It's an ambitious undertaking, and it was a little ambitious undertaking as far as I was concerned to kind of pick it up, but I'm glad you did. And I'm really looking forward to hearing how great it is and how sad it was that I didn't make the initial purchase because it has a lot of possibility to it. It's just, is it possibility that's you know meant to be or is it hubris? I'm not too sure. Yeah, that's exactly it. I feel like if it works, as he says it's going to work, it will be brilliant. Okay. If it pulls a seafall, it'll just be disappointing and fine. Sure. Like. I'm sure the game's fine. I just don't know if it's brilliant. We'll see. Okay. Uh, it's it's going to go up there with like 504. Like, you did it. <laughs> but all you did was do it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's but. that's the problem. When you fly too close to the sun, sometimes, you know, the wings don't work so well. But we'll see. Yeah. Well, here's yeah, certain, things just, certain things just aren't going to happen. Yeah. Uh, um, so the next game on the list here is the Dresden Files Cooperative Card Game. 
that sounds random, right? Well, this <laughs> is a, a book series I love. So, <laughs> um, it's a cooperative card game. It's it's like pretty much all the other cooperative games. You have thirty minute sessions. Um, everybody works together trying to fight these different uh, things that Harry Dresden has come across in the first five books of the series. Um, if you've never read these, there's something like fifteen or twenty novels that have been released in the last twenty years or so. And they follow a wizard in Chicago who is a private detective. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff. That's really all you need to know. And the game is based on that. It's really, really fun. The books are really fun. There was a ill-fated TV show that lasted all of one season like 10 years ago, which is not very good. But if you've not had a chance to read the books yet, you should totally do that. Uh, the audiobooks are great, too. They're narrated by James Marsters. And, and I don't know. It's just a fun world. I'm excited to see it. It plays solo too uh i didn't back this on kickstarter so i'll be waiting along with everybody else for regular release but um, i'm gonna keep my eye on it because it it seems like a if nothing else if the theme is well done i'll probably like it yeah i know of the universe and i respect the universe the game at least as far as the pictures are concerned doesn't seem to be dynamic enough to make me get into it because since i'm i haven't read the books it's got to be a great game it's got to be an outstanding game to pull me in completely and it doesn't seem to be at least at this point so i'm looking forward to seeing it hit the table somewhere but i i gotta believe this is going to be something that's only going to be for hardcore fans i fully expect it yeah <laughs> it's not i would lean more towards the it's it's okay end of the spectrum but you never know these licensed properties these days they, they tend to turn out better than you expect All right, next up on the list, this is the newest Days of Wonder game. I believe it was debuted or at least first seen and played at uh, BGG Con, so just a couple months ago, and that's Yamatai. This is from Bruna Cathala and Mark Pakien, and the early pictures make it hard to tell exactly what's going on because it appears to be prototype components, but we have a game taking place in the land of Yamatai. It's very Japanese-inspired, obviously, and you'll be building palaces and tori and other types of things in this world using a different numbers of action tiles and colored ships. Not going to dive in. Again, not, don't know much about this, haven't played it, haven't seen the prototype, but it's Days of Wonder. It's Bruno Cathala. It looks like it'll be very beautiful. Even the prototype looks nice. The artwork is beautiful already. So it's definitely one I'll keep an eye on based only on that at this point. Sure. Everything that Days of Wonder does each year is typically outstanding. I don't think that they've had a real kind of fall-down mess up to this point. You got a great designer. You have a great aesthetic here. You have a great company backing it. It looks a little like Samurai. It's kind of hard to tell, at least what the prototype components are here. Uh, mixed in with a little Emotep. So, yeah, um, I'm excited for this one. All right. So next one up, I already talked about a little bit, and that's First Martians, Adventures on the Red Planet. Uh, this one just went up for pre-order, I think, yesterday. So as of us recording this. So when you're listening to this, two weeks ago but you can now pre-order the game i think he's saying it'll be available in june i don't think we have to go into too much more of this we have robinson crusoe on steroids and space that's all i know Mm -hmm. i'm in space steroids space steroids (laughs) that's how you get to mars you need to have the strength yeah so i already talked about some acquisition disorder this is a game i i definitely want to pick up Uh, i'm going to go check it out to see as far as what the cost is concerned if it's based on the robin crusoe board game we've already played there's really not much that could go possibly wrong with this game. Yeah, that's all. That's where I'm at. I don't see how it could be bad. The rules are once again a mess, in which case, come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's got the app this time, so maybe that'll help. Yeah, here's hoping. <laughs> sure. Next up on the radar from another very famous designer is Eric Lang's Rising Sun, of which we know nothing. 
All we know is that it's uh, the next in his line of mythology-inspired games. It's supposed to be where Blood Rage was his take on area control. This is supposed to be his take on negotiation, so it's diplomacy style. Mm-hmm. And it the cover, which is all we've really seen of the game, looks fantastic. And it's cool mini or not, so the miniatures will, of course, almost certainly look fantastic as well. Mm-hmm. The only way you'll get any news about this is if you check Eric Lang's Twitter, and he occasionally posts the various issues he has <laughs> coded, of course, with his development process. Who knows when this is going to hit? Who knows if it will even be a Kickstarter because Cool Mini or Not is kind of splitting the difference these days. But it's on my list, and I'm sure it'll end up being a 2018 game anyways. But it's I'm excited to learn more about it, if nothing else. Yeah, what few pictures they have, at least with the prototype components, if not the final artwork and final miniatures, are outstanding. Eric Lang is outstanding. Cool Mini or Not, it's outstanding. I'm not too hip on the negotiation aspect as far as this is concerned. But I guess if anyone could make it work, it would be, you know, possibly Eric Lang. So (laughs) looking forward to this one. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, he made me love area control in Blood Rage by taking away the part that made that genre suck the most, you know, losing your guys. So who knows? Maybe he'll find a way to make losing a negotiation fun, too. (laughs) (laughs) You get to kick him in the knee or something. That's right. (laughs) Uh the next one here is, it's an easy one, so it's on everybody's list as well. It's Pandemic Legacy Season 2. We know nothing about it other than a couple pictures that were taken at Essen. It will be out by Essen this year, and it will almost certainly be awesome. Anybody who's played the first season is ready to go for this one as well, and that's where I'm at, so it's on the list. Yeah, I still don't like Pandemic, and I've played through some of Pandemic Legacy, and it's still Pandemic. So I guess if you like Pandemic, this is a perfect pickup for you. And if you don't, it's a pass. So I'm passing. <laughs> it's just probably me. And I get that. I get that. Just, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's uh pandemic was, uh, I don't know. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of male on for a while, but this is the game that kind of dragged me in. And then all the different variants of it that have been coming out. But, and, but yeah, it's definitely, if you don't like pandemic, like why would you like this? No. Yeah. I think it's just, well, it'd be interesting. Maybe it'll finally be something different. Maybe it won't just be more of the same with maybe a different twist. So maybe it can be something different. I mean, really, I do love Defenders of the Realm, which implements a lot of the pandemic mechanics to it. So it's always a possibility. And you liked uh, Pandemic Legacy this season one, right? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, it was fantastic. And by the time you get to the end of the game, things are suitably different, mechanically speaking. You're doing all these different things that... It's still pandemic, but you're you're diving into new stuff all the time. So if Pandemic Legacy Two Season Two picks up on that and goes with it, I mean, that'd be awesome. If they start you back at base pandemic and then run you down a different storyline, that'll be different. I'm not sure <laughs> what I'd think about that, sure. but um, I'm interested to see. And then the last one on the list is a third uh, legacy game on this list, and that is Charterstone. This is. Stegmeier's take on Legacy, since everybody's giving it a go these days. This is a, a Euro, right? This is going to be a Legacy Euro, at the end of which you'll be able to keep playing, even if you've made changes. So, mm-hmm. seems like the best of all worlds, designed to fix the problem people have with Legacy games destroying themselves. And they're working on a solo version of this, which I'm very interested to see if they can make work. I know he's still working on it, so we'll see if they can make it work. But um, you've got the best in the business working on that solo variant, so we'll see how that turns out. Sure. 
So once again, the best in the business as far as Kickstarters, the best in the business as far as innovative gameplay, some outstanding artwork, at least what they're showing currently. There's not a lot, but there's some stuff out there. And for me, uh, as a Eurogamer and probably more of the heavy type of Eurogamer, if there's going to be a legacy game that I'm really going to want to spend time and effort on, it's going to be this type of game. And uh, I'm highly looking forward to it. It's probably my most anticipated game for 2017. Yeah, I think so for me, too. I mean, it, the only thing that keeps it possibly for being at the top is I'm not sure I have a group to play with yet. I have, This is the thing I have trouble with with legacy games is getting a group together because sure. you need people that are commit to it for several weeks. And with the kids and everything, it's really tough to do. So First Martians might edge it out for me. Um, and Gloomhaven is up there as well. But it's it's very high on the list, and I'm very excited to give it a go. And if it does have a good solo variant, then it's instantly up there because I can play it by myself. So. <laughs> All right, so that is our predictions for 2017, the games that we want you to keep a lookout for, the games that we're keeping a lookout for. And as the year comes on, we will get you updates as as far as games that we have in our acquisition disorders, games that we finally hit in our table, and feature reviews on these games. If you want any more information about any of these games, be sure to hit us up, Facebook, Twitter, BoardGameGeek, our website, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, because we always have up-to-date information on these games and what we're hitting the table and any advice that we can offer to you. All right, so that's everything for this episode. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we hope that you'll save us a seat in 2017.